excellent conference down in St. Joe yesterday and, and uh, Friday evening. Um, if you were wanting to go and weren't able to make it, I believe the teachings will be on um, their website. I don't know where they are. I haven't found them myself yet. They weren't up as of last night, so I'll uh, send out an email when I see them and give you a link so you can listen to them. Excellent. Just um, really blessed. Um, Sandy Adams came out from Stone Mountain, Georgia, and we need to lift him up in prayer as they're way inland, but in the path of uh, Irma there. And uh, for them, it's just flooding mainly. By then, most of the wind will be taken out of the sails of Irma once it gets that far inland. And yet, still, nobody wants to see a Category 2 hurricane in your backyard. So um, we'll be praying for them. And I did already offer up our help um, so while I was down there with them. And I said, uh, you know, we've got some folks that are very capable, very self-sufficient, and uh, we can show up and provided. You know, some, some can show up and we can help. And so I did already volunteer you guys. I'm not going, but uh, no. I'll go too. Um, so pray for them. And then, of course, Don McClure came out and shared, and he's just like, he's like a grandfather. You just sit and listen to him and, and enjoy it. I heard Josh say that. and um, I was like, yep, that's about right. Um, uh, just wonderful wisdom. And so a real blessing. So those will be up, and uh, um, you can listen to those if you're interested. All right, Hebrews. I think I'm in seven tonight, or to this morning. Hebrews chapter seven. We left off with um, the mention of Melchizedek, this uh, priest that Jesus is of the lineage of, basically, or, or of that order, is all he tells us. And what that means is he's not uh, a Levitical priest of the tribe of Levi, like they're all supposed to be. He's of the, of the order of Melchizedek. And then he left us hanging, like, wait a minute, fill us in on Melchizedek, you know. He's this mysterious figure that shows up to Abraham in Genesis 14, um, and we'll read that. Uh, it's only three verses. Um, he's mentioned again in Psalm 110, and we'll read that also. But not a whole lot's known about this Melchizedek. And yet, um, very important for the writer of Hebrews to bring this in and say, hey, I want you to know about this guy, because that's where Jesus comes from. Their question would have been to Jesus, how, what makes you a priest since you're not a Levite? Why would a Jew believe in a priest that wasn't of the order of the Levites, since that's what God commanded? And you could see they're right. The back to the Bible gang would be saying, wait, that's not biblical. You're of the tribe of Judah. We know where you came from. We know your lineage. Um, you can't be a priest, so you can't claim to be a priest. Well, the writer here tries to clear that up, saying, no, 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 no. He comes way before Levi. Uh, he comes before Abraham. And... Uh, and, uh, he's of the tribe of Melchizedek. So he's just trying to show that to them. Hebrews here teaching them that what you believed in Jesus Christ, being the high priest, when you got saved, so excited, now you're moving back to the old things that have passed away or are passing away. He's trying to encourage them to stay where they are. And of course, that's the encouragement for us this morning. We're to stay where we are. We're to continue to go forward. I like the roller coaster when you, when you go up the first hill, you know, when it's when it, when it catches, you ever, you, you know, some of you don't like roller coasters, probably like, I have no idea, and I'm not going to find out. Well, here's what happens. When you hit that first hill with your little train car of buddies there, you kind of go, and you kind of cruise, and then, you, and then it catches on a chain, and it goes, and some of the older ones have a lot of slack. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he'll pull you up, and then you kind of fall back two feet. Oh, my goodness, three feet up, two feet back, and it's an interesting experience. The key is, 
Boy, you hope it catches, because you don't want to go backwards. You don't know what's supposed to happen. I'm sure it'd be fine. But as a Christian, you want that same idea. I want to move forward. You may take two steps back, but I'm still gaining. I'm still moving forward. I'm not stagnant. You don't want to be stuck on the hill, but you do want to get up brought to the top. So it's a, it's a system. It's a, uh, it's a chain. It's a, a, a ratchet system that keeps you from going backwards. And that's what the Hebrews, uh, they're, they're, they're falling backwards. And the writer here says, no, I want you to keep moving forward. And as Christians, we're encouraged. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Had a conversation with a, with a young lady um, asking about maturity. And I just don't feel like I'm where I ought to be right now. You know, boy. And I said, neither do I. You know, as you go down there and you listen to Sandy Adams, who isn't much older than I am. And you listen to Don McClure, who's a lot older than I am a lot older. Um, you look at those guys and you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm nowhere near where they are spiritually. And it's a little frustrating. I got to thinking, it's one of the things I wrote down. It's one of the things that God spoke to me during the conferences. You know, you're, and, and I'm not, this isn't a pity party, but it's just the reality of JD is I've always, I've been behind my whole life. I've been, people have been ahead of me and gone further. And I just, you know, that's just kind of how I am. I try not to be that way, but that's where I'm at. You can always find folks that are further ahead, where you'd like to be, where I want to be. But as I wrote that down, it was just like God saying, no, 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 this, is, this isn't something new for you. <laughs> you shouldn't have probably moved into third grade. You should have stayed back a year or something. You know, you're just one of those, you're one of those special kids, you know, kind of things. Like, well, come on. God, this isn't very encouraging at the conference. He goes, no, but I'm taking you and I'm moving you forward at my pace, at my will, and you're exactly where I want you to be. Well, thank you. That's good. I'm encouraged by that, but I always feel behind. And so I told this person, um, this young lady, and I said, you know, where were you years ago? Sometimes as Christians, we get the idea that we need to look at yesterday, and am I light years ahead of where I was yesterday? Well, no, nobody is. We used to, you got to move forward. We used to measure the kids whenever they'd ask us. You know, you got the markings on the door. They'd ask us. And once they knew they'd grown three inches, because they'd been a year since they'd checked it, they're like, oh. The next month, they'd say, have I grown another three inches? They'd want us to check. And it was so disappointing to see there's nothing there. In fact, sometimes it would go down a little bit because I had the book a little straighter this time as I made the mark. I said, no, you just got to give it time. Let's wait. Let's just do it every February. We'll just do it every February and we'll check your height. And that's encouraging. As a Christian, when you're walking with the Lord, check your height, check your maturity, check your level over a longer period of time. It's a slow growth but it's a sure growth. It's a steady growth. I looked at our kids' marks, and it's, it is it's f- amazingly three inches, three inches, three inches, three inches, three inches. Just perfect. There's no, there's no like eight inches, you know. Well, that's not eight, but you know what I mean, eight inches, and then a quarter inch or whatever. It's just constant. It's just a constant, steady growth, and that's encouraging to see. As Christians, we got to measure ourselves that way. And so, all that being said, We've got to move forward with our walk. The Hebrews need to con- continue with Jesus. You haven't made a mistake in uh, you know, hitching your wagon to him. You, you haven't made a blunder. You don't go backwards. Keep going forward with him. And he's trying to encourage him that. He says in verse 1, For this Melchizedek, 
king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. This Melchizedek that Jesus is likened to, if not an actual appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, that's the debate. We don't know whether Melchizedek truly was Jesus showing up and speaking to Abraham, or whether he was just this mysterious figure where we don't have a lot of information about him so that he could be used later on in this very example. God does that sometimes. He'll do that. But this Melchizedek is just like Christ in the sense that his name is translated King of Righteousness. Jesus is King of Righteousness. Or King of Peace. Jesus is our King of Peace. And so the writer here says, no, this Jesus whom you believed on is a better priest, a better high priest, so much better, so much higher. And look who he is. He's like this Melchizedek. So you haven't made a mistake. You haven't just had to throw out God's word because that's the concern and that's, that's a good concern. I don't want to just throw out, and just because you say so, I'm supposed to throw out about this Levitical thing, this Levi's? I'm just supposed to throw them out? No, 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 I'm giving you a reason to believe that it's in God's word. Melchizedek was way before in Abraham, ministering to Abraham. And then the Levites came much later, generations later, they came. So, in a sense, Melchizedek is higher than the Levitical priesthood. And that's what he's trying to show them. No, no, no. No, you've, you've, you've hitched your wagon to a better high priest. Now, turn with me to Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Let's see the encounter here with Abraham. Abraham's nephew Lot had followed him, but had gotten captured in a raid. I'm giving you a very brief, you know, a little bit of background so you understand what's happened. Abraham, hearing about this capture of his nephew just grabbed 300 of his servants and went after this guy. Now, the, the, the raid wasn't just from a small group of people. It was from a, a bunch of armies. Uh, several kings and their armies had done this and happened to grab in this grab one guy that was very important to Abraham. That was Lot. And so Abraham goes after him with just 300 of his own men. It was a, a mismatch from the very beginning. Well, he wins. He has victory. Where am I going? 14, 18. Talking too much. And so this is, this is the end result. After, after Abraham gets this, he says in verse 18, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Interesting, we're having communion today. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him, Abraham did, a tithe or a tenth of all. All the spoils, everything that he had, he gave this priest, Melchizedek, a tenth. And that's going to become important in today's text, not about giving. We're not going to focus on that. But the idea was when you give to somebody like that, you're giving to the greater. You bless, you're, 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 you're going upward. Now the blessing comes downward from God or from Melchizedek, the high priest, towards his people. But then the response is then that tithe, is that 10%. That's how it works. 
And that's important to note because back in chapter 7, that's what the writer's trying to get across. Now consider verse 4, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4. We're back in our chapter again. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tenths or tithes from the people according to the law. That is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. It's, he's using a lot of words to explain something very simple. The Levites weren't even born yet. They were sort of inside of Abraham still, so to speak, in his loins. So when Abraham, and this is how they thought, when Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, Levites were giving a tithe to Melchizedek. That's the idea, because they were still inside of Abraham. They hadn't come about yet. And so if Abraham did it, the Levites did it. That's how it works. That's how the Jewish mind thinks. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them in heaven, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. He's just making sure everybody understands. We're not saying that Jesus has found some another group. He's saying he's found a better group. He's of the order of Melchizedek. Guys, we have a perfect high priest. The Gentiles didn't necessarily understand that. They had priests and priestesses in their religions, but had never maybe run across this before. And so as the Gentiles, as we read this, it's a little difficult for us to understand. But since this is written to the Hebrews, they would understand this. They would get this. They would understand what the writer's trying to say. Your thoughts are right. It should be of the tribe of Levi but I'm explaining to you what's happened here. It's of the tribe of Melchizedek, and Melchizedek was before the Levites. In fact, in Abraham they were when Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. The blessing came down to Abraham, so therefore the Levites got blessed by this Melchizedek at the same time. Okay, I just want to make sure we understand what he's getting across here. There's several times that Jesus shows up in the Old Testament This may be one of them, Genesis 14, but for sure, Genesis 17 and Genesis 18, he shows up. He's always been. He's always existed. He's not a created being. He's always been there. And now that he's been sent by God to us in the form of man, again, this isn't his first time necessarily showing up, we receive him and you've received him rightly. And so as Gentiles, we need to understand that. We have a good high priest. We have a good relationship with God. Our connection to the Father is through Jesus Christ and by His Holy Spirit. That's good. It's solid. He wants us to move forward. He doesn't want us to second-guess that. Now, I know I wanted to be spiritual at one point, so I hitched my wagon to Christianity, but now I'm not so sure Christianity's really the way I want to go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Be careful. Be careful that you don't throw away that high priest, that you don't disregard Hear this, what the writer's trying to say to them. You've hitched your wagon to the right guy. He is God come in the flesh. He declared so. Um, And that's what the writer's trying to get across so they understand that and are settled in their hearts so they can move forward. Verse 11, Therefore, 
because of everything I've said. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? If the priesthood was so perfect, why did God pick a completely different order of priests and choose Melchizedek? In other words, it wasn't perfect. It was faulted. It was faulted and messed up because we were men. Men who were sinners, who had to offer up sacrifices for our own sins first. Then we had to offer up sacrifices for the people. It was flawed from the beginning, from the very uh, inception of the priesthood of, of Levites. And so he tells them that. It had to be this way. It's better. For the priesthood, verse 12, being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. The writer's acknowledging that. We know he's of Judah. We know that God never said anything about it. And it is yet far more evident in, if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of the fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, and this is a quote from Psalm 110, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The Levitical priesthood could never take away sins. They could only cover it with those sacrifices. They could only postpone the inevitable. They could only get you right to continue walking with God. They could never bring you forward. They could only let you not get judged at that point, but it would be coming anyway. It never took away sins. This, on the other hand, this order of Melchizedek, this high priest, does take away sins. It's a better hope, not a, a reprieve but actually getting off or uh, an annulling of our sins, and actually removing of our sins as far as the east is from the west. Let's turn to Psalm 110. Let's read that. Psalm 10 is a messianic prophecy written hundreds of years before Christ, describing what they were to be looking for in the Messiah. It's only seven verses, so I'll read the whole thing, but the quote that we're reading from is actually just... Um, Verse uh, 4, but we're going to read the whole thing anyway. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Already showing them that the Messiah would be of Melchizedek, not of the Levites. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Interesting last three verses. <laughs> But he is talking about the end times. He is talking about the second coming when Christ returns. 
but he's of the order Melchizedek. And that's what the writer's trying to get across here, to let them know, hey, you got the right guy. You've got him. This prophecy, speaking of him, should have pointed him to you the whole time, should have been uh, very aware that he wasn't going to be of the order of Levites, should have never been looking at that tribe to begin with. It's going to be different. He's going to be a king. Verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, so in other words, the Levites never had an oath, but this guy did. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now he's building upon what he said last week when he said these are immutable promises. And you could read that. It's chapter 6. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety for our better covenant. It's important to read that and to remember that. It's a better covenant. It's not a blending of the covenants. It's not old covenant, new covenant blend. It's a replacement. The new covenant has replaced the old covenant. We can't go back to the old covenant. We can't relive it. You can't blend them together. You have to be all the way into the new. It's a new covenant with Jesus Christ. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety for, of a better covenant. You can't have two in force at the same time. We try to sometimes. We try to blend because we read the Old Testament. We try to mix in a little law into our walk with Jesus Christ, making us a little, a little more holy. We do some of these things, and we kind of pick and choose what's kind of easy for us or what we think we can accomplish, and we add those to our walk. I think I could avoid that, or I think I could steer clear of that. And we can tend to make that our thing. With Jesus, of course, as an addendum. But the writer here is trying to say, no, 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 we have to go all the way. All of that was to show you what he would do. All of that was to show you our sin. All of that was designed to bring you to the place where you know what? We need a new covenant. This old covenant has failed us anyway. It's been perfect on God's side of things. This contract we had with God was, well, it's very legal, but we've lost. We're in trouble. We're in debt. We owe. We're not going to come out of this like we thought we were. We're not going to get ahead at all. We need a new covenant. And thankfully, The signer on the other side of that old covenant contract said, I'm willing to tear that old covenant up and write a new covenant with you where not only I am the provider of the covenant, provider of the promises, but I'm also going to be the fulfiller of your side, your end of the bargain. The writer's just trying to bring that across. Don't you see how this is really a no-brainer? This new covenant with Jesus is like, Are you kidding me? This can't be, this is too good to be true. That's why it's called the gospel. This is good news. I was in debt. I was in trouble. There was no way I could pay for it. I was going to lose everything at the end of this. When that contract came due, I'm I'm done. What if I ripped it up, God says, what if I did this new contract with my son Jesus? What if I become the judge, as I always have been, but Jesus is your advocate? What if Jesus pays your penalties? What if Jesus pays the price? What if he takes his, your sentence upon him? What if he does everything for you in proxy? Well, that'll work. And he did. So the writer here is emphatic. It's not okay to blend these two. It's not okay to go back to the old. I don't think you understand what that means when you go back to the old. 
You've got to stay with the new. Verse 23, also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. In other words, you had lots of priests. You had new ones all the time because they died. We'd have to get a new high priest. He'd live for and die. But he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable, unchangeable priesthood. That was probably a little bit of a concern to him. It's a little bit of a concern for us. We don't have a high priest, but we do have presidents. We get a little nervous every four years. It doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on. Everybody gets a little nervous every four years. And I'm not going to pick a side this morning. There is a right side, by the way, but I'm not going to pick it this morning and tell you what that is. But you get a little nervous every four years because you don't know what kind of person's going to be in there. What are they going to do to us? That was their concern. They would have high priests that had rules, things they were supposed to follow, but everybody kind of followed them a little differently every time they got up there. Not so with Christ. Christ's priesthood never changes. Christ never dies. He lives forever. There's never going to be another reign, another ruler, or another administration. It's always going to be him. So it's safe to get to know Jesus because he's going to be there forever. He's the one friend that's never going to leave you or forsake you. He's always going to be there. Therefore, because he never has to change, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's a promise. As long as Jesus is alive, as long as he's on the throne, I'm okay. And since he never dies, and since his throne will ever be taken away from him, I'm going to be always okay, is the idea. For such a high priest was fitting for us. We needed this. It fit us. Who, was, who is holy, speaking of the high priest, harmless or innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for his people's. Please hear this. For this he did once for all when he offered, him, offered up himself. See, the old priesthood had to continually offer up sacrifices and you had to make sure that you continually offered up your sacrifices to keep things flowing, to keep things clean, to keep things forgiven or at least overlooked, but not so with Christ. This is so important to understand. I'm not going to put too fine a point on it. But you have to understand that Christ is no longer on the cross. He died. He was taken down. He was placed in a tomb. And three days later, he rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father, never to offer himself up as a sacrifice again. It was done. When he sat on the cross and breathed his last, it is finished. He meant everything was finished. It's done. He's not like those other priests who have to offer up every single week a new sacrifice. And people have to partake in that new sacrifice every time it's offered up to maintain their salvation. No, no, no. That's the old covenant trying to be brought into the new. Our new covenant's so much better. He died once for all, never to be offered up again. For the law appoints a high priest uh, points as high priests men who have weakness, but the, word of the, the, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son 
who has been perfected forever. That's encouraging. He's been perfected forever, not temporarily, not until the next one comes in. Our salvation is secure in Jesus. It's permanent. I don't have to worry about it. See, we're going to have a time of communion this morning where we pass out a little tiny cup of juice and a little piece of bread. And we remember, and that's just so important, this juice and this bread is to remind us of the one sacrifice that happened 2,000 years ago but was never to be repeated again. It's a reminder. It's a time when we remember what he did once for all and that's such a better covenant we have. This has nothing to do with your salvation. This does not help you stay saved. It can't. It shouldn't. It should never be misrepresented that way. This is simply a reminder that on the night that he was betrayed, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my old covenant? No. This is the cup of my new covenant. It's a new covenant. And as often as you drink this cup, you do this in remembrance of me. Same thing with the bread. He took the bread and he broke it and he handed it to his disciples and said, "This, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. Because the next day he was going to the cross. And so that's why we do this. And that's why this is a part of our service. It's to remind us of what he was going to do the next day for those guys and did and it's done and it's finished. And how grateful we are that we're saved because of what Christ did once for all, never to be offered up again. To offer him up, or believe you can offer him up, which you can't, it's fictitious anyway, over and over and over again, is to try to go back to the old. Try to think we have something to do with our salvation and we don't. This is a time of rest and peace with God. We know that our sins are forgiven. We know we've been taken care of. We know that the promises are true and have been applied to us because he rose again from the dead and his sacrifice was accepted once for all. We'll have the guys go ahead and hand that out at this time if we can. While they're handing it out, I'd like to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul goes over this very thing that we're doing right now, because the church would do this as often. We don't know how often they did it. They didn't do it every Sunday, we don't, we don't think, but they also didn't do it once a year. We, we don't know how often. He just said, as often. This is what he said. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you came together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the other's. And one is hungry and the, another is drunk. Do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? 
What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of, Jesus, of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many die. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. Paul writes all that to set it in order. They had misunderstood what the Lord's Supper meant. It wasn't meant to be a feast. I got the privilege at the conference to hand out the bread and the juice, so it was one of the, one of the guys that got to be able to do that. And, and I went out afterwards and tried to find everybody in the highways and byways that were outside of the area where we were meeting to you know, see if they wanted any also. And I worked my way through till I found a group of younger people, I'll say. They're like, I showed up, I said, would you like to take communion? And they said, yeah, snacks. I went, ah, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Do you know what this is? They said, yeah, yeah, yeah. we were just kidding. And we know. And, 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 and they, were, they were just, they were in their mode and I interrupted their mode with something spiritual and they were like we weren't thinking spiritual at all at the time and so don't don't we won't judge them too harshly but i stopped them for a minute i said no wait a minute do you understand what this is they go yeah yeah yeah, we do and they all grabbed it and they all bowed their heads and they picked some guy to pray and he prayed and they all had their own time of communion it's neat we got to know what this means i think it's important he doesn't say don't i didn't run away saying we well, you don't get any of this you know we got to make sure we know what it means and eat and drink accordingly to what God intended. And that's all Paul's trying to do there, set things in order. No, that's not snack time. You know, this is the time where we truly remember what Christ did for us and that it isn't of us, it's of him. That we, he died on the cross for us and we're remembering that moment. And so thankful for that time, that one point in history when Christ died for the sins of the world once for all. And we remember that. The unworthy manner he's speaking of would be just what I just said. They don't understand. They think it's just food. It is, but it represents something. And that's important to know that. And he warns them. The unworthy manner is not that you're a sinner, because every one of us is, and that's why we're having this time, to remember that we're sinners saved by grace, by what Christ did on the cross. The unworthy manner is simply not discerning the Lord's body, not understanding that his sacrifice was for me and my sins. I know he died for the world, but do you know that he died for you specifically? The unworthy manner would be not to judge yourself, not to think you needed it, to eat and drink and kind of throw it down. You know, 
Look out teeth, look out gums. Here it comes, you know, kind of thing. But to truly understand that he died on the cross for my sins, and I remember that this morning. And that's how you judge yourself. You judge yourself worthy of the cross. I needed it. I needed that cross. And so that's where we leave it this morning. I'll take a few minutes, and then we'll eat and drink together here. You can just spend some time with the Lord here for a few minutes. Lord, we thank you for this moment that you've prescribed for us. And we want to do these things. We thank you for all these things you've given us, whether it's water baptism to symbolize the death of our old man and rising to new life in Christ, whether it's this moment right here reminding us of when you had that meal with the disciples and told them on the next day that you would be pierced and nailed and then also broken um, and die for them. We remember that, and we thank you for this, because you knew we'd need it. You knew we'd need reminding. You don't need reminding, and you don't need homage. You need us to remember that our salvation is of you, and it always will be. It's very comforting, because if it's of you, it's forever, and it can't be tarnished, and it can't be taken away. So we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, as we eat and drink, we remember your death on the cross. We thank you that you died once for all. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat. Now, if you're visiting, we break our cups at this point. That's not a weird cult thing. It's to symbolize, first of all, you never want to use the plastic cup again. It needs to go in the trash because we're not going to wash them. The second thing is it's a broken vessel. This is us. And we, we're all broken. Every one of us is broken. And it's when we're filled with Christ that people see through the cracks of our brokenness, they see him. Never want him to see me. I never want him to uh, enjoy the goblet, you know, kind of thing. I don't want him to ever look at the vessel. We always want to look at the contents. And so this kind of symbolizes us. We're, we're full of the Holy Spirit, hopefully, filled with Christ. And we hope that that's what people see in us. And that's all we're doing by breaking these cups is that we know and acknowledge that we're broken vessels. But because we're containing Christ, because Christ is in us and people see him, that's the blessing. That's why we live. That's why we walk with him. Hopefully that's what people see. So ready? One, two, three. All right. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We pray that you'd bless us as we go today. Um, we thank you for the encouragement that your word brings us. It builds us up, it lifts us up, and helps us walk forward, moving forward, never moving backward, God, never doubting, but staying right as close as we can to you, Jesus, not as far away from you as we can get. So Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, I pray this week there would be many opportunities for us, Lord, to minister your good news to those around us, that you are, you are a forever priest that you are forever sacrificed, that you have paid the penalty for all the sins of the world, that anybody can believe on you for salvation. I pray that you give us opportunities to share that good news with everybody around us. Lord, we lift up all the tribulations going on around us, whether that's the fires all over the place or whether that's the hurricanes and earthquakes and all these things. We know that your word says that these things are going to take place just prior to your coming also. But you've always always been on the horizon. You could come at any moment. None of these things had to happen for you to come. 
But Lord, I'm thankful that so many people are beginning to look up. I just hope that if these things subside, that they, that they don't begin to look back down again. Lord, help us to keep our eyes always looking up for your return, always looking for you to take us home to be with you, God, that we would live that way, not just because there's trouble around us, but Lord, because we're excited to be with you. I don't want to look at storms and trials to see your coming. You've always told us to watch for you. And so God, we want to keep our eyes up beyond the smoke, beyond the storms, to see your eyes coming to take us home. We look forward to that, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.